While all our hearts are mortgaged And our minds are media slaves The world is warming up as we earn Mother Nature's wage Just inside She is taking to the streets To release her secret rage Just inside Or will we collapse Just inside Welcome to the Convergence on Voice America. This is your series host, Dr. Kurt Johnson of the Inner Spiritual Network and Unity Earth. As we move into our fifth year on Voice America and celebrate our over 100,000 listeners, we're proud to be bringing you two special broadcasts with Humanities Team, the Conscious Business Institute, and the Conscious Business Synergy Circle of the Evolutionary Leaders. These two Voice America specials are entitled Conscious Business for a Flourishing World 1 and 2. And they are evergreen presentations from major business and thought leaders on the important topic of conscious business. These two Voice America specials also accompany the first issue of our new magazine imprint, Conscious Business, which first issue is also entitled Conscious Business for a Flourishing World. Our magazines have some 200,000 readers, and we think Conscious Business will be a great addition. You can find all three of our magazines, Light on Light, The Convergence, and Conscious Business, at www.issuu.com slash lightonlight and at www.lightonlight.us. Again, all the issues are at www.issuu.com slash lightonlight. Or just Google Light on Light magazine, The Convergence magazine, and Conscious Business Magazine. The broadcast that you're hearing now is the second of the two Voice America specials entitled Conscious Business for a Flourishing World, and this is number two. It features important world-class business and thought leaders interviewed by our guest hosts for these two Voice America specials, who are also the guest editors of our new magazine, Conscious Business. The roots of these important productions go back to the historic Conscious Business Declaration of 2015 and the subsequent Conscious Business World Summit hosted online in March 2019 by Humanity's team, the Conscious Business Synergy Circle of the Evolutionary Leaders and Unity Earth. And as I just said in my introduction to these two special Voice America episodes, We're moving ahead now with the production of the new magazine, Conscious Business. The contents of this new imprint will get a great introduction in the interviews and discussions that you are about to hear in these two Voice America specials, Conscious Business for a Flourishing World 1 and Conscious Business for a Flourishing World 2. So I'm joined today by the two guest editors of Conscious Business and Conscious Business for a Flourishing World. Steve Farrell, Worldwide Executive Director of Humanities Team, and Peter Matisse, founder of the Conscious Business Institute, and also by Deborah Moldau, the International Coordinator of the Evolutionary Leaders. Steve and Peter are not only the guest editors of the magazine, but the principal interviewers of the business and thought leaders that you'll hear on these special Voice America broadcasts. 
More complete bios for each of them are at the Voice America show page, and the relevant websites are www.humanitiesteam.org, www.consciousbusinessinstitute.com, and www.evolutionaryleaders.net. You'll also be hearing a message from each of these organizations during the program. So, Steve Farrell, let's start with you. Tell us about the roots of the Conscious Business Declaration and the subsequent 2019 Conscious Business World Summit. You bet. <clears throat> Thank you, Kurt. And um, so, the, if we're going to move beyond this existential threat <clears throat> to the earth, uh, business must become conscious. And that sounds pretty serious, and it is. Uh, now, uh, a number of organizations have advanced uh, business in very progressive directions. B Corp and B Lab uh, kind of started this thing out, creating this focus on people, planet, and profit, which moves us in a very constructive direction. And then conscious capitalism came along and started using the term conscious uh, with business. And, and again, there are constructive features in the work that they're doing. But these organizations with their focus uh, did not bring real consciousness, the fullness of consciousness to business. And this is why back in uh, 2014 and then culminating in uh, a declaration in 2015, why four NGOs uh, decided to create a conscious business declaration and to focus uh, in, in an extensive way on, on creating conscious business globally. And those four organizations are Humanities Team, of which I'm a part, the Club of Budapest, based in Europe, the Goy Peace Foundation, based in Japan, and the Fowler Center for Business as an agent for public benefit out of Case Western Reserve University, also in the United States. And, and these four NGOs, uh, we, we spent a year creating a declaration that you can read at ConsciousBusinessDeclaration.org that lay out the essential features of what conscious business is. Uh, the, the first uh, feature I'll just read to you. It says, we are one with humanity and all of life. Business and all institutions of the human community are integral parts of a single reality, interrelated, interconnected, and interdependent. So, we're just staking out that businesses don't operate in silos. In fact, nothing operates in silos. And that's the whole point, that modern science, quantum physics, and modern science are sharing that everything is deeply interconnected. And so uh, business needs to play an important role. This is actually what consciousness is. Now, what this declaration drives at is that everything's connected, that we actually, you could even say, are all one, uh, that there... Uh, that inner journey is important. And, and what inner journey is, is it's, it's this process of going within and creating being states that restore this rhythm, uh, this connection with the rhythm of life. Uh, because uh, in unconscious business, we, you know, we're just not in touch with the rhythm of life. So we can create GMOs and we can create certain kinds of animal farming and we can create media that's not serving life. Consciousness essentially is that which is life-affirming, life-sustaining, and life-enhancing. It's about as simple as that. Consciousness equals life. So when we talk about conscious business, we're talking about nurturing life, 
so, so that's what um, that's what this initiative is. And then the World Summit in March 2019 was a summit that brought together thought leaders from all over the world uh, that are uh, are doing important work here, talking about their work as thought leaders or, in, or as, as business leaders, where they're creating real conscious business, uh, where uh, where that where, where it's really about more than like business talking points, where it's really more of a movement. Because I go back to where I started, that if we're going to move beyond the existential threat to the earth, business must become conscious. That's a very serious thing to share, and there are a lot of people doing serious work to address this. Well, great, Steve. Thanks so much for really telling us about those deeper meanings of the Conscious Business Declaration and then the... uh, Conscious Business World Summit. So, Peter, now you're one of the two guest editors for the special magazine issue, Conscious Business for a Flourishing World. So can you tell us about the magazine and what you really hope to achieve by its production and by these two special broadcasts on Voice America? Who are the guests in the magazine and who are the guests that we've assembled for these two Voice America specials? Yeah, thanks, Kurt. I'm happy to do that. Uh, the intention for the magazine is really twofold. The first one is to uh, familiarize people with conscious business and its principles. Uh, that uh, The idea that there's really another, a better way to work and succeed, because many people just simply don't believe that that's the case. Um, and the second intention is to what I call bridge heaven and earth. The first uh, component, the heaven component, is really speak to the vision of what is possible if we would rethink business. Uh, If in our changing times, if we would reimagine what business could be, what could we create? What could we create as professionals working inside an organization, but also as business leaders maybe owning or managing a company? And the second component of that is the earth component, which is to make it practical, to provide approaches and proven tool sets that individuals at all levels in an organization can consider if they would like to embrace conscious business principles. And then to include case studies and practical examples to, to under, underscore that. You see, um, what I find is that at this point in time, there are a lot of people speaking about the need to transform the way we work and conduct business. In this magazine, what we want to do is to not just speak about it, but to provide concrete steps and ideas to get there. Um, And lastly, the intention is, because I founded the Conscious Business Institute in 2005, so I've been at this for more than 15 years now, um, I have seen many people jump into the conscious business ring and wanting to play, but it is still very, very fragmented. There are some people in Australia, in Sweden, in Italy, in the United States. So if we would like to make a difference as a collective, we need to pull together. We need to become a force in the world, and we hope that this magazine can help with that. Um, Now, to your second question, to the guests, we've really split the magazine in three parts. The first part is to provide a vision and a framework for conscious business. What is possible and uh, to provide maybe the philosophical framework behind conscious business. Um, The second part is then what are the elements if you want to build a conscious business? How do you build a conscious culture? How do you lead in a more conscious way? How do you do the self-transformation and self-reflection that's necessary if you want to become a conscious business professional? How do you build organizations where people really want to work? 
So there are certain frameworks, certain elements that are necessary that we need to become aware of if we want to bring it into an organization. And the last section, the third section, is to provide practice examples, personal experience where have individuals have gone through personal transformation towards conscious leadership. Case studies from businesses where we can learn about what really works if, if we go through conscious business programs, for example, and what doesn't. What are the pitfalls? What are the stumbling stones that we need to become aware of? So for all of these three um, sections, the vision section, the elements for business build, building conscious business, and the practical section, we have really amazing individuals that we've collected. Uh, for the first section, for example, we have Ken Wilber who, as you may know, developed the integral theory and maybe the framework for building a better world and with that also conscious businesses. So the philosophical framework behind conscious business, maybe. We have uh, Paul Pullman, for example, the former CEO of Unilever, because he put conscious business principles to work and tells us in this interview, how can it be done in a corporate environment? And then in the applied section, uh, where we, we take Ken's integral framework and make it practical for organizations so that anybody, uh, any CEO can take it and apply it to their leadership. And lastly, in the practice section, we have CEOs from companies that manage 70 people, for example, that have gone through conscious business journeys, have fallen into some traps, maybe, uh, but created organizations that are now working better than before, and they'll share their experience in a very tangible way. So, um, for the Voice America, we've then selected some of these authors, Ken, Paul, Rinaldo Brutico, for example, Irvin Laszlo, Devin Sloan Wilson, uh, because we find that in this radio show we can broadcast this to more people, but also go on a deeper level. So, we're very exciting to share this with you and with our audience, so we can all learn from this magazine and also the, the radio shows. No, Peter, thanks. That's a great uh, rundown, and it's obvious that we're really in for an exciting ride in both the magazine and in these Voice America broadcasts, and uh, we're really pleased that we've been able to move from the Conscious Business Declaration of 2015 to the summit in 2019 and now on to actually creating this uh, whole new magazine itself, uh, Conscious Business, of which this will be the, uh, you know, the first issue. So, uh, Deborah, I understand that many of these activities that resulted in both the Conscious Business World Summit and in the magazine issue Conscious Business for a Flourishing World, not to mention the Voice America specials we're on right now, have involved a synergy circle on conscious business from the evolutionary leaders, of which uh, here now actually all of us are a part. So, Deborah, could you tell us about the evolutionary leaders and specifically about its Conscious Business Synergy Circle? Yes, thank you so much, Kurt. I'm really excited to be with you and Steve and Peter on this program to explore fresh ideas for conscious business for a flourishing world. As you mentioned, I'm the director of the Evolutionary Leaders Circle, which is a project of the Source of Synergy Foundation. This is a unique community of 170 visionaries, including authors, scientists, social engineers, spiritual leaders, and educators, all of whose work is on the cutting edge of the current transformation of human consciousness. And I'm happy to say that its members include you, Kurt, and Steve, and Peter, and I, and uh, many, many wonderful, brilliant visionaries. 
So as this community of evolutionary leaders grew, we realized that we needed to provide a way for these leaders who are working in related fields to come together and share their projects and their wisdom among themselves. And that was the birth of the Synergy Circles. The Conscious Business Synergy Circle is an outstanding example. It began as a conversation between Steve Farrell of Humanities Team and Kurt Johnson of Unity Earth at a gathering of international leaders in Crestone, Colorado. And I joined this leadership team as director of the Evolutionary Leaders, and we launched this Conscious Business Synergy Circle as an open circle. And that means that we invited both members of the Evolutionary Leaders Circle and also others who are passionate about business as a potentially powerful agent of change, like Peter Matisse of Conscious Business Institute. So there are currently 53 members in the Synergy Circle, and each one is playing a unique role in urging business toward new models of success based on the principles of higher consciousness and on the conscious business declaration that Steve was describing. So the first project of the Conscious Business Synergy Circle was to plan a Conscious Business World Summit that was hosted by Humanities Team with Unity Earth and the Evolutionary Leaders, and that took place uh, from March 7th to 9th in this year, 2019, and it featured fascinating explorations of various aspects of what it takes for business to put its heart before its head. And meanwhile, a special issue of the Convergence online magazine focused on conscious business came out in February, just in advance of the summit. And now we have a new magazine edition coming out, Conscious Business for a Flourishing World, as well as this Voice America special. So lots has been happening. So I'd like to say just a little bit more about the synergy circles of the, of the evolutionary leaders community and their potential. So synergy circles are forming up across many passion areas, as well as in various local local areas, and our host, Kurt Johnson, is helping organize a number of these as great opportunities for thought leaders and sacred and secular activists of all kinds to come together in many exciting initiatives and activities, some of which will be open to visionaries working in the same arena who are not in the circle. And another way to participate with members of the evolutionary leaders community, as Kurt notes in his commentaries on the show as well, are the upcoming events across the Unity Earth Network for 2020, the road to 2020 and the caravans of unity across America and Europe and elsewhere. So anyone who'd like to stay informed about all of these exciting opportunities, everyone out there who's at the edge of the current transformation of consciousness, is invited to visit evolutionaryleaders.net and sign the call to conscious evolution. And then you'll receive our newsletter, The Edge, to keep you up to date. So now the uh, Conscious Business Synergy Circle is ready to pull our wisdom and our vision to advance the cause of business as the lever that can move the world. Thanks so much, Steve Farrell, Peter Matthews, and Deborah Moldau for that general introduction to both our new magazine imprint, Conscious Business, whose first issue is entitled Conscious Business for a Flourishing World, and these two exciting Voice America specials entitled 
Conscious Business for a Flourishing World 1 and Conscious Business for a Flourishing World 2. We're excited to move right into the interviews that Steve, Peter, and Deborah have highlighted for us. But before that, as we did with Dr. David Sloan Wilson in our first broadcast, we're privileged to be able to do an overview interview with noted cosmologist and previously one of the most senior businesswomen in the United Kingdom, Dr. Jude Curvin. And there's a more complete bio for Dr. Curvin at the Voice America show page. We want to speak about the urgent issues and challenges facing our world today, which make it so important that our business and economic activities and norms become more conscious and more serving of the values of equanimity, well-being, mutuality, reciprocity, and so on, as we seek to build the world that works for everyone. So welcome, Jude, and Jude, take some time now to lay out what you see as the urgent issues and challenges that we are facing in creating a conscious business and the urgent directions that you think we should take. Well, first of all, thank you, Kurt. It's lovely to speak with you and be with everyone. Um, Just to sort of take a step sideways, I mean, we know that on a global scale, we're facing enormous challenges and that will impact us in all aspects of our lives. And so organizations and businesses will be at the forefront of determining how and to what extent we're able to meet these. So whether we're even able to survive and thrive as a species. The issue is that most businesses are still organized and managed in leadership styles and structures that hark back well over three decades now. And if tried and tested and still found to be functional, that will be fine. But with increasing complexity of global interconnectedness, the urgent need for major socioeconomic transformation and facing the existential threat of climate emergency, there's an urgent need for radical changes in their no longer fit-for-purpose hierarchical approach and operations. So to take a step back to where we were and where we are and where perhaps we now need to go, in the 1980s, business consultants McKinsey, um, together with Tom Peters and others, developed a model of seven S's to optimize corporate performance. And these comprise hard S's, as they term them, strategy, structure, and systems, combined with what they called soft S's of style and staff, skills, and shared values. And since then, whilst businesses incorporating their management philosophy have evolved to some extent, they still in many aspects reflect the scientific and technological revolutions of the last two centuries, viewing the world and themselves as as complicated machines whose workings they can figure out and, and control. And using engineering terms to measure effectiveness, human beings are then resources cogs in the machine, business plans are blueprints, templates for action, with key performance indicators focused on aligning all parts of those machines to their aims for success. And that success is almost completely in terms of profit. It's driven by profit. This approach has brought unprecedented prosperity and meritocratic advancement. However, its mechanistic and materialistic worldview of separation and Darwinian survival of the fittest 
is based on and rewards dominant structures, relationships, and processes. And unchecked, these perspectives competitively and greedily drive overconsumption, environmental desecration, depletion, and pollution, inequalities, and academic levels now of stress and dysfunctional behaviors. Recently, though, Inner personal development in the service of self and co-creative leadership and organizational purpose are coming to the fore. In their work on so-called style dynamics, Don Beck and Christopher Cowan, expanding on that by Claire Graves, characterized progressive levels of human awareness, of human consciousness by various attributes. And they see a level now emerging as harmonizing, empowered, co-creative collectives of individuals focused on the well-being of all living beings and our planetary home. And embodying such awareness includes experiencing ourselves as part of a larger conscious and spiritual whole that also, also supports our individual uniqueness and nurtures life and lives of abundant simplicity within a healthy global ecosystem. In Reinventing Organizations, Frederick Lanou also describes three foundational attributes of organizations exemplifying this level of awareness. He denotes as teal and which others are characterizing as conscious businesses. And having reviewed such pioneering organizations, Lanou discovered that they embody three foundational traits. They have a holistic worldview. They organizationally embed holistic intelligence throughout their structures, processes, and operations. And they embody not merely a sense of purpose, but generally a purpose that is itself evolving and evolutionary in nature. And in having and enacting a holistic worldview that sees the profound interconnectedness and ultimate wholeness of the world, such conscious businesses behave accordingly. Such perception guides and drives its embodiment in their evolutionary purpose, in how they operate and their sense of direction. And then this naturally supports their embedded, distributed, holarchic and collective authority and holistic intelligence and guidance from such inner awareness to their outer manifestations. However, until recently, the mainstream scientific paradigm has continued to support the hegemony of hierarchical organizational structures and operations. It's considered the seemingly, se seemingly separate and material appearance of the universe as being its essential and sole reality and has held that consciousness somehow arises from the brain as a result of random occurrences that enable evolutionary emergence based solely on such random mutations and the survival of the fittest. However, now a radically different understanding is emerging and leading edge scientific evidence across all scales of existence and many fields of research is discovering that our universe is fundamentally interconnected. In other words, it's validating such conscious businesses and their leadership. It's showing that our universe exists and evolves as a unified entity and is exquisitely fine-tuned to evolve from simplicity to complexity. It's showing that its material appearance is not its fundamental nature, but arises from deeper, non-physical realms of causation, and vitally 
that mind and consciousness aren't something we have, but rather what we and the whole world are. This new scientific paradigm converges with profound spiritual insights and experiences of all ages and traditions, and its integral model invites and empowers a renewed realization of the inherent sanctity and universal worth and value of all existence. Crucially, it offers meaning and purpose to our existence and evolutionary purpose, and that of our entire universe. This whole worldview of such unity awareness naturally aligns people and organizations with others cooperatively and co-creatively rather than through competition and dominance. It also stimulates transformational change from the inside out, engendering distributed intelligence throughout organizations and expanding relationships from the individual me to the organizational we and to a planetary perspective and stewardship of all. And in doing so, it ushers in a balance of the best and continuing benefits of the past, predominantly masculine organizational behaviors, with feminine attributes in an emergent evolutionary integration. The seven organizational S's that emerged in the 1980s and which are still prevalent today sought to combine the hard aspects of organizational strategy, structure, and systems with their soft aspects of style, staff, skills, and shared values. Nonetheless, all seven were and have been enshrined in corporate structures, processes, and behaviors that are essentially masculine. Feminine attributes, however, have been generally peripheralized and often denigrated over these last three decades or so. And as I know well from my 25 years in corporate life and latterly as one of the most senior business women in the UK, and now further 20 years later, being invited to contribute to this growing movement of transformational leadership and conscious business, which is beginning to embody and embed this emerging evolutionary understanding of, of consciousness. But it's been this lack of balance, not only in businesses, but throughout our societies, that I feel is at the base of the dysfunctional behaviors we're now realizing are utterly unsustainable. Part at this turbulent time of crisis, which the Chinese glyph shows denotes both danger and opportunity. It's now that the equal inclusion of feminine attributes embodied, of course, by both women and men, are being progressively recognized as being vital. I describe the interwoven characteristics of such feminine behaviors as eight essences of self and spirited leadership and as follows. The first is the essence of being a servant leader, the sovereignty of serving the good of the whole, rather than the sovereignty of controlling the whole. The second is as a soul model, to authentically embody the highest coherence of the whole, rather than role modeling from an ego-based sense of status. The third is as a seer, a perceptive co-creator of the highest purpose and meaning of the organization. And the fourth, a sensor, 
sensing what's calling to come through and emerge and then responding and expressing its purpose rather than trying to control or drive it. The next is as a shaper, facilitating the emergent evolutionary shape and embodiment of the organization. And the sixth, a space holder, enabling inclusivity and individual and collective worth and contribution, value and meaning. And sometimes a stirrer, intervening as, when and how, sensed to co-enable progressive and optimal positive change. And the eighth essence is as a shaker, intervening as and when and how sensed to initiate revolutionary change. The emergence of such conscious and spirited businesses and organizations whose embodied whole worldview is foundational to their purpose and operations is accelerating around the world. Making integral decisions, guided by intuitive insights, feeling a deep sense of stakeholder community and planetary stewardship, they're authentically exemplifying their evolutionary purpose-led aims in the very DNA of their brands. In the integration and resolution of the best practices of the seven masculine essences and the emerging eight feminine essences and behaviors. I believe that such conscious businesses are beginning to synergize the emergence of a ninth attribute, a childlike empowerment, a free-flowing, co-creative and joyful innovation. When such conscious businesses walk their talk, as they must, and indeed if they are conscious, but as they must, if we are indeed to build a world that works for all, and by all I include our planetary home and all the other beings she nurtures, such corporations and organizations can bring incredible co-creativity to support greater and optimal well-being for people and planet. They can engender inclusivity, valuing the diversity of everyone within a unity-based awareness. And they can foster and facilitate interdependence, resilience, and a regenerative approach to healing our relationship with all of nature. Their soul modeling and sovereignty of transformational action and ways of consciously enacting business, I believe are vital if we're to collectively co-create the now and the future we want for a flourishing world for ourselves and our planetary home. And heeding their calls to link up and lift up invites us all to come together in a global movement of hope in action. Wow, Jude, that's just such an amazing introduction to what's going to be coming now with our discussions with Irvin Laszlo and with Ken Wilbur, and following also on the discussions in our first uh, special, which included Paul Pullman and Ronaldo Bertocco and David Sloan Wilson talking so eloquently about the work of Nobel Prize winner Eleanor Ostrom. So, uh, Jude, thank you so much, not only for that amazing introduction to where we're going, but also for your role 
as a member of the Conscious Business Synergy Circle of the Evolutionary Leaders, which is one of the sponsors of this program and of the upcoming Conscious Business Magazine. So, Jude, thanks for taking your time, clear over in the UK, to join us. And um, what we're going to be doing now is moving over to the other interviews just after a short break for a message from one of our Voice America and Unity Earth partners. Hi, everyone. I'm Steve Farrell, the Worldwide Executive Director for Humanities Team. I'm going to share with you a little about Humanities Team and our transformational education programs. Humanities Team is a 501c3 nonprofit. We have no shareholders. Our shareholders, if you want to call them that, are the 7 billion people who inhabit the Earth and the Earth herself. We are all about aligning with the divine and life and creating flourishing for individuals, communities, countries, and the whole of the Earth. As you know, we are not adequately providing for a great percentage of the human population at this time, and we are not stewarding the Earth in a mature way. Much remains to be done. This is why planetary awakening and living into the unity of all of life is so important. To address this, Humanities Team offers transformational education programs, including many free programs. You can find these on the humanitiesteam.org website. Important thought leaders have partnered with us to bring the very best in transformational online education to the global market space. Presently, we offer powerful and inexpensive programs addressing the science of self-empowerment with Greg Braden, Bruce Lipton, and HeartMath leaders, Deborah Rosman and Howard Martin, and a program called Our Final Frontier, Journey to Mastery and Living with Neil Donald Walsh, and other programs that you can review on our website. You can check out all of our powerful transformational education programs, including our free programs at humanitiesteam.org. Thank you so much. Welcome back to the Convergence on Voice America. Our program is Conscious Business for a Flourishing World, and we're just about to hear interviews with prominent thought leaders on this topic. So I'm here with Steve Farrell, Worldwide Executive Director of Humanities Team, one of the hosts of this special Voice America program. So Steve, you had an opportunity to interview at length uh, Irvin Laszlo. So, Steve, why don't you introduce Irvin and give us a bit of an introduction about his interview with you, and then we'll go right over to it. Thank you, Kurt. Yes, I had the opportunity for a rich discussion with Irvin Laszlo. Irvin is an important thought leader based in Europe. He has twice been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. During our interview, Irvin discusses the chaos point confronting us globally. He shares we are at a decision point where we must choose between the world as a toy shop where we extract and consume and the Gandhi example where we choose ourselves what the world is to become and we model that, each of us individually, in our daily living. It's a riveting conversation with one of the great thought leaders of our time. Great. That sounds great, Stephen. Thanks for letting us know more about Irvin. Obviously, there's a longer bio for him at the show page. And let's go over right now to this discussion between Steve Farrell and Irvin Laszlo. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this program about consciousness and conscious business. I'm Steve Farrell, the Worldwide Executive Director of Humanities Team and Conscious Business Enterprise. I'm here with a very distinguished guest today, Irvin Laszlo. We've got a very special program in store. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to introduce my special guest as we get started. 
Dr. Laszlo is generally recognized as the founder of systems philosophy and general evolution theory. His work in recent years has centered on the formulation and development of the Akasha paradigm, the new conception of cosmos, life, and consciousness emerging at the forefront of the contemporary sciences. He serves as president of the Club of Budapest, chairman of the Urban Laszlo Center for Advanced Study, chancellor of the Gordiano Bruno New Paradigm University, and editor of World Futures, the Journal of New Paradigm Research. Urban is the author, co-author, or editor of 93 books that appeared in a total of 23 languages. Professor Laszlo has written several hundred papers and articles in scientific journals and popular magazines. Urban recently wrote something called Essential Tasks that gets at the transformation of global dimensions that has already begun. We're going to discuss this and get to his powerful calls to action. We're going to jump in right now. And uh, welcome to the program here, Urban Laszlo. Great to have you with us. Steve, it's a pleasure, as always, to be speaking with you. I look forward to our discussion. Me too. Okay, here we go. We're going to jump in. So, so Urban, you share that our very survival will constantly be at stake. Can you speak candidly about what you share here, please? Well, the world has become one, whether we like it or not. We could make it into a positive one, but it could be a breakthrough one or a breakdown one. We are so much dependent on each other and on nature. We are altering the climate, as we well know. We are changing the equilibria of the whole ecosphere. And we are creating greater and greater divergences, divergences and differences between rich and poor, between advanced and retarded as yet. And this both on the social and on the economic and on the ecological sphere, we are creating an unsustainable situation. We used to talk about the coming of a big bifurcation, a change, a transformation. We can no longer talk about coming because we are in it. We have started a transformation which puts our survival at stake. This is, as we will talk later, I assume, this is not only a negative thing, it's a positive thing because to have a crisis is also the birth of something new. But for the time being, we know that the next years in front of us are constantly placing the very survival of humanity on this planet in, the question, in question. It is not automatic. We can still assure it, but we have to act. And I think we should talk about what we need to do to act, why we have this problem, and but more importantly still, what we can do about it. Yes, it's a very serious time, very serious time, which is why programs like this are so important. You share that we've come to a chaos point because we've divorced ourselves from the natural world, that we're not living in sync with the rhythms and balances of nature. Can you talk about that, please? You know, traditional people, indigenous people still, to the extent that they are not taking over the modern world's uh, practices and habits are still living in their own traditional life. To that extent, they live in sync with nature, which means very largely they use the diurnals uh, rhythm, for example. They get up when the sun gets up. They sleep when, the, when it gets dark. 
and they eat natural foods around them. They don't breed animals just for the sake of, of, of enhancing their diet. They don't disrupt any work, uh, the world around them. They could maintain themselves for thousands and hundreds of thousands of years. That is living in sync with nature. In the past few hundred years, humankind has divorced itself from this natural uh, way of living in which we are part of the world. Now, what do we do? I mean, it's not a question of going back. We can't anyway, but it's not even desirable. It's not a question of becoming traditional, becoming uh, primitive or indigenous or whatever we call it. It's a question of recovering or alignment or oneness or harmony with the world around us. And there are many interesting movements that, uh, that are on, the, on doing this precisely. Just to mention one, for example, which is so, in, so interesting. It's what's called forest basing. In the East, it's a very popular way of, of, of healing and of ensuring one's well-being, going into the forest and feeling oneself being, becoming one with that forest. So this is becoming not popular in the West. Now, there are several of these uh, forest-basing institutions arising in Europe, for example, in Scandinavia, but also in the US. And this is, means, means that we are aware of having gotten out of sync, of having moved beyond the rhythms and the balances of nature and seeking now to recover this, to coming back to becoming in tune with the world around us. This is very important. It's not a question of becoming simpler, becoming, becoming more primitive. It's a question of being aligned, being in harmony, being in tune with the world around us. We are children of the earth. We are children of the biosphere. And we are dependent on our mother, this whole system, which is around us for our life, for our well-being, and for our future. Yes, reclaiming this ancient wisdom that uh, we, we, it's a shame that we have to reclaim it, that it couldn't have been uh, something sequential that just uh, continued here over the evolution of time. Uh, well, so let, you brought in, um, you made reference to oneness and connection and things. So, so let's talk about our connection, our oneness and elevated consciousness. You were one of the initiators of the Conscious Business Declaration that calls on business leaders all over the world to see our connection, our oneness, and to bring real consciousness to business. Can you uh, talk about this, please? I think we have to take a step back to really see the point of this. Because when we talk about connection, we ask connection with what? I'm now working on a book, which will appear shortly called Connection, Reconnecting to the Source. But the whole idea that I've been working on and dealing with and thinking about for a number of years now is that there is something like purpose, something almost like a will in the universe, which is not created by, this, by humans, and it doesn't necessarily have to imply that it is the will of a supreme being, but it is there in nature. And it, I can say in a few words why I believe that this is the case. You know, according to the greatest physics, the universe in which we live 
is not all there is in the world. It's something that came into being. It's probably not going to last forever, but it came in being probably according to the calculations and computations, 13.8 billion years ago, at the aftermath of what is known as the Big Bang. The Big Bang created that kind of a polarization in the world that brought forth quarks, quarks that have got, got assembled into units called, uh, called the, electron, the neutrons and positrons, the, and it together formed the, the nucleus of the atom, which in turn acquire electrons around them and create complex atoms which come together in molecules and so on and so forth. You see, so this world has come into being and the latest calculations show very amazingly and surprisingly that this world that we have today could not be a chance world, could not be a random world. Something has been organizing, creating, guiding the process that has gotten underway in the aftermath of the Big Bang, of this cosmic explosion. What has been happening since then could not be the creation of chance. Why I'm telling you why this is so important. Because if it was chance and there is no purpose in the universe, only one thing after another, then what we are connecting to the universe, to nature, we only connecting to something which has no inherent purpose, no real meaning, just one thing after another. That's not a meaningful connection. It doesn't teach us anything. But what we find is that in this period of 13.8 billion years for the physical aspect of the universe, and what, what perhaps 50,000, 5 million years for the human species, 50,000 for human cultures, and so on, this, all this evolution that took place could not be the product of chance. There is simply would not be enough time for chance to create the universe. Chance is rather like Fred Hoyle, the famous astrophysicist, said this. It's like uh, believing that a hurricane blowing through a scrapyard will assemble a working airplane. The probability is given, but as you can tell from this example, it's not very high. So we indeed, we must assume, and I think now is a reasonable case can be made for it, that this universe is a purposive universe. So the question is, what do we connect to? We connect to the purpose. We connect to what this universe is here for, because we are part of the universe. We are children of this universe. We belong to Earth, to the biosphere, to the Earth, which came about in the universe. So this is a, our universe, not the universe. There could be others, probably millions, perhaps billions of other universes. But this is our universe, and our universe was born at a given time, has been evolving since then, and is, has created us, created life, created consciousness. When we connect to, universe, to the universe, we connect to something which is whole, which is meaningful, which is progressive. We have forgotten this, we have to come back to it. Mama talked about conscious business, let me just say one word and we can elaborate on this if you like. Business has to be conscious so that because it's the biggest force, even apart from politics, perhaps apart even from military, is the biggest force guiding the contemporary world. And this, we need to have this force 
becoming a natural, a positive impetus in the world. And that means that this force has become conscious of the world in which it came to be and reconnect to this world. That is the task, that is perhaps the salvation, that is the way forward. Business can do it, and because the universe is whole, the universe is purposive, it's evolving, connecting to the impetus that connects the, all things in the universe, connects us to the universe, is the way to go forward. Yes, it's such a, so, so many important points you're making here. Uh, so uh, where we're not connected to source and where business as a powerful institution specifically is not connected to source, that this is where we could create all of this massive dysfunction where we're just off non-purposefully creating rather products and services that, that maybe aren't, uh, where, where there's no consciousness in the culture, where there's no connection to source in the culture, and thus we're uh, bringing products and services in many cases to our communities and uh, to our countries, to the earth that that uh, uh, that are not uh, nurturing uh, to the people and to the communities. Is that is that right? Absolutely right, Steve. Uh, you see, we talk about purpose. Business does have a purpose. It's not a chance phenomenon. That's a purpose. But its purpose has been not the purpose of the universe. The pur- its purpose is self-centered. It's breaking down holes because it's putting itself first. It's creating an interest group where the interest of the shareholders and not even just the, the stakeholders, but just the owners and the immediate collaborators prevails over the interest of the rest. So this, in this world, the wholeness which characterizes the atoms, the molecules, the cells, the living organisms, the ecologies, and even the galaxies, this wholeness, this, this consistency, this coherence, you know, is not being served by a business that only exists to make money for its shareholders. It breaks open that coherence. Business has to be part of the world, and the world is a coherent whole. It can only survive, humankind can only survive, if you are part of a coherent whole, and we serve that co- the coherence of the whole. That means we serve all things that maintain the human species and make it flourish, make it grow. And just by doing our things without regard for anything else and without regard for other, other people, other companies, the environment, nature, and so on, to do that is a risky business. It breaks apart the coherence, and ultimately it can be the downfall of the business that does it itself, because then the business is a cancer. Instead of being a productive, a living life force, it can become a destructive force, a cancer. We have to change that around. I'm not saying that all businesses are cancer, but traditionally, a business that does not pay attention to the world around it, is not becoming in tune with the world around it, and does not evolve the way all things around us evolve, that can be a dangerous force in the world. That's why we need conscious business, a business that consciously connects to the world around it, which is a world in evolution, a world seeking wholeness and oneness. So, so, so important. So, Urban, uh, to, to board of directors, globe, the global board of directors, global companies that 
that don't really get what wholeness and oneness is or, and how they would operationally move into a model of alignment with wholeness and oneness that, are, that, uh, that feel that the focus really needs to be on the shareholder uh, exclusively. Uh, what, what would you say to them? Keep in mind that in a healthy organism, this works also for a whole ecology, if the entire system is coherent, that means it's operating as a whole, and is in tune with the world around it, then every part of it is healthy and whole. If the entire system has cracks in it, is breaking apart, then its parts cannot maintain themselves for long. The powerful parts will maintain themselves for a while, but at the expense of the weaker, and eventually will live in a world that will be more and more artificial, artificial maintained, kept alive by power, and that by perhaps even by military power or by economic power, and that will be an unstable world. In the long term, it becomes more and more unstable, and that's the meaning, I think, of unsustainability. The world which is self-centered, the world which puts itself first and doesn't regard, doesn't pay serious attention to the well-being, to the development of the rest, that world is a negative influence. It creates polarization, it creates conflict, and eventually violence, and it's moving to our breakdown. And uh, Urban, much of your work, also your son's work, Chris Laszlo, uh, based out of Case Western Reserve University, uh, does talk about uh, progressive businesses that are moving in the direction of oneness and wholeness, where, uh, where the culture of the organization is creating being states uh, that are productive to businesses and to communities. Do you want to uh, talk a little bit about that, please? Well, sure. There are positive developments. But there's a race, a real race now, between these developments becoming powerful and spreading in the globe and the unsustainabilities which are progressive. Unsustainabilities on the level of society, on the level of the ecology, of climate change, of, of agricultural, uh, agricultural problems over very large areas, food raising and water problems. All of this is a race right now. And if we are going to win this race, if we are going to be reasonably certain that we move beyond this crisis toward a more positive future, then business has to be conscious, not only of its immediate surroundings, but conscious of being part of this largest whole, which is the biosphere. And uh, in, in this, uh, I mentioned uh, when I was uh, introducing you, Urban, uh, in, in this uh, paper, important paper you wrote called Essential Tasks, you share about positive developments in business, that we are moving toward contribution of the company to the life of well-being of its employees, collaborators, customers, and home communities. Uh, and then certainly uh, this uh, recently, this business roundtable statement signed by uh, almost 200 company CEOs talking about the importance of business uh, purpose is encouraging. Uh, so as we kind of shift to uh, the positive developments in the world that you reference in your material, do you want to uh, talk a little bit about that. Are we taking necessary steps now to uh, create the elevated consciousness, the the uh, 
focus on wholeness and oneness that are necessary. Well, there are positive developments, and this is why I think we can we can say that we are in a bifurcation point in which we can break through to a higher new level of well-being for all people in the world. Or we can also possibly break down, which will be negative for all participants in this world. Both things are, posit- are, are possible. It's not decided yet. My point is that we need to accelerate the positive trends. And the accelerating the positive trends is to change the, our view of the world. This world is not a merely happenstance world where one thing is after another. This is a highly organized, naturally organized, a cosmically evolving world. And to be part of that, it seems to be far-fetched for a business executive. But yes, that business, every business, has to become part of a move, movement which is not just focused on its immediate surroundings and its collaborators. It's focused on the evolution that is taking place on this planet. It is a very fast evolution. It has moved to an unsustainable point, and that's moving us beyond beyond what has been the case. We can no longer afford to run big businesses as though they were alone in the world. We must have these big businesses joined together, join and become part of an ecology, an ecology of consciousness, of life, in which we are each a part of each other. You know, the great uh, physical scientist Ilya Prigozhin has shown that in a living organism, the life is being maintained by the complete total coherence of all its elements. It's all cells, all groups of cells, and this is now standard knowledge in medical science. All groups of cells collaborate together to maintain the whole system. If one group of cells doesn't collaborate, what does it do? It becomes diseased. If it infects the others around it, it becomes an infectious disease. In the worst case, it becomes a cancer. So we have to learn from health, health in the living organism, health on the planet, health around us in nature and in culture means living, working together, forming a coherent whole where every part collaborates with every other part. Sure, there are positive developments and we have to look at those developments, but we cannot be complacent Those developments as they unfold today are not a guarantee that we will survive the present crisis. We need to inject an element which is called consciousness. Consciousness that we live in a whole system universe. Wholeness and oneness is not something we imagine. That they are something which is in the world, part of the world. We are part of an oriented world. Let me add just one more thing which is now very dear to my heart. The great uh, psychiatrist, Stanislav Grof, has called the, the positive trend in consciousness, he called it holotropic. You know, holos, as we all know, is wholeness in Greek. And tropic, atropism means that it's a tendency toward, a seeking toward in a direction. Holotropic means a tendency toward wholeness. You know, Stanislav Grof found this that is basic to the human psyche. I want to add that it is basic to the human world, to the business world as well. 
We need to be holotropic. We need to seek our wholeness, not as an abstract metaphysical uh, uh, concept, but as something very real, meaning a whole system where all parts is co are coherent with all other parts. We have to learn this. The way to survive on this planet is to be coherent with each other and with nature. And for that, we need conscious business, just as we need conscious politics, conscious culture. We need to become conscious of being part of a whole system on this earth where nature, humanity, science and spirituality, art and all the other facets of our culture are integral elements. So, Urban, um, you, you share in much of your material, in, including uh, essential tasks, and, and actually during this broadcast, you've shared a couple of times that we're, we're treading a path that leads to breakdown right now, rather than to break through. So, and I know you've got a number of calls to action you want to bring in here. Let's, let's get to one of them now. As you speak right now to business leaders all over the world and other leaders, uh, what, what do you want to say to them about this? Learn, realize, recognize who you are. You are not a stranger in the world. You are part of the world. You are not different from a tree, from a forest, from a whole ecology. We are all whole systems moving toward integration. We have been breaking this thing down. And I'm sorry if I have to insist on this factor, but this is the only way we'll move forward if we recognize that the path we have been treading, the past 150, 200 years, is not sustainable. The hurricanes that we see in the world coming, the literally the, the meteorological hurricanes, the, the dryness, the, the drying up of, of productive lands, the rise of the sea levels, the violent uh, meteorological phenomena, as well as the unfavorable patterns of the climate. All these are natural expressions that of the fact of the disturbance of the unsustainability that we have introduced into this world. Recognize it, not because this is what we have to do, not because this is destined, but because this is something we have to change. We have to move back toward becoming a natural part of the natural world. We have to reconnect with the natural world. So I think recognizing this means very simply and basically acting in such a way that we don't act at the expense of our competitors or, or other businesses, even if they're not directly connected with us. We, we act with them. We act to mutual benefit. The games to play are win-win games, and the only kind of games that will allow us, any one of us, to survive in this world. How can we survive in this world if we are only a part of it? If it seriously, if the poorest, less, less, least powerful part of the world gradually dies off, it won't die off so gradually, disturb the entire system. We cannot live without all of us together on this planet. So holotropism, and that means uh, uh, being potentially beneficial to the world, is not merely a philanthropy. 
is not merely something abstract, doing goodness. It's in our most basic interest. Together we can make it, but we have to transform together. We are in a transformation, and that transformation has to move together, hand in hand. There are signs that this recognition is dawning us on, on people, dawning on business leaders, dawning to a lesser extent on politicians, politicians who are, who are, who are stuck very much in a situation in which they have to work, seek the favor of a large population so that they can be elected and re-elected. Businesses are a little freer, freer in that respect. And, uh, and scientists are still freer than that, and educators. So we have to make use of our freedom, of our recognition, of our consciousness, to become truly what we can become, a productive part of an evolving whole system. It may sound like religion, theology. It may sound like metaphysics or esotericism. It's thorough science. It's more exactly quantum science today. In the a, in a quantum world, in the quantum universe in which we live, there are no separable parts. Everything is instantly connected through space and time, beyond space and time, with everything else. Because we are not separate parts, but we are interacting elements, interactive, I like to call them vibrations, clusters of vibrations, in which one vibration acts on the others. What you think what I, affects what I think. What we both think affects people around us. What we can do with a single broadcast like this, for example, is to create a wave, create a little disturbance where people say, no, it can't go on like this. We have to sit up. We have to change. And the change has to start with us. Here, of course, the famous saying of Gandhi becomes relevant. You have to be the change that you want to see in the world. There's a very big difference, for example, in manipulating, doing something to others and doing it ourselves. You know, a classical doctor, and no longer the modern doctors, the, the avant-garde doctors, they participate. But a classical doctor doesn't participate in the feelings in the, in the condition of the patient. He prescribes to do this, do that, you see. What does a modern doctor, a really participatory doctor, he does something like what the artist does. Don't tell, tell other people what to do. Do it yourself. And then you create a resonance, create a sense of, of, of joining together in which one person, one initiative resonates and creates a movement for the others. That is the great, great task before us. Acting like artists who influence the world by being something, being the work of art themselves, not separating us. There is no separation. There is no passive being around, uh, here, uh, in, uh, being left to ourselves. We are all part of it, whether we like it or not. This is a recognition we need to have. And if a business leader has this recognition, then he can move toward coherence within the company, coherence between the company and the world around us, coherence with the entire biosphere. That means maintaining the system, evolving the system, making it more harmonious, smoother, more beneficial to all its parts, ironing out the deficiency. 
the conflicts. We cannot create a world in which we are using only revenge and only force to, to right wrongs. We can only have a world in which we use our own example of understanding, of comprehension, and of movement towards coherence to create harmony in the world. An ancient, an ancient goal. In the East, is still very much alive. Harmony, coherence is something that is very much part of the policy in the East, even though it's not very apparent when we talk about military conflict and economic uh, conflict. But it is there underneath it, and we have to discover it in the West, that we are, we are part of a whole world in which conflict is, must be a, a, an opening, a portway, a portal to a new cooperation, a new harmony, and not a way to extinguish one part so that the other one could survive. Nobody survives if many parts of this world become imperfect and go down the drain. No way. We can either do it together or none of us will do it. The Gandhi example is, is, uh, is so important. I'm going to come back to that here in just a little bit. Um, you, you bring in nature in the material you're writing uh, and also during this interview. And um, in nature, um, what we call lower levels of consciousness, a beetle and a bird, um, and other uh, animal life create these sustainable and flourishing environments. And yet we, uh, who, when we refer to ourselves as higher consciousness on the planet, uh, have soiled our planet, which is what you're, you're bringing around again and again, which is why we're, you're saying we're treading toward breakdown right now, not toward breakthrough. Uh, it, uh, it's, it's ironic, isn't it? Well, we are not making use of our higher consciousness. We are not connecting by exploring how we can feel, how we can perceive. You know, the great philosopher Whitehead, Alfred North Whitehead, talked about prehending. He used a term that is a very curious term. But I would say we need to prehend the world around us. That means taking it to us, becoming part of it, becoming one with it we need to become a prehensive element in, in the world and not something which is separated off from the rest of the world. So yes, indeed, we are part of a natural world. We can be a productive part of it. We are at a point in our development, in our history, where we can no longer go back. There's no way we can reestablish equilibria in the natural world. Nobody can establish a stable climate anymore. Nobody can establish a, 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 an ancient order among people, among societies. We can only create new orders, new equilibria, higher levels. And we can do this only if we use our higher consciousness to go beyond the immediate, beyond the surface phenomena, to the depths, to the purpose that underlies the universe. Let me repeat what I said before, because I think it, this is, to me, is the crux of the matter. We live in a purposeful universe, in a purposeful world. It evolves. We are part of the evolution. If we can evolve with it, we will be a positive part. We will be a healthy part. If we disregard it, ignore it, then we may or may not go in the right direction, but it's a risk we take. And if we only 
book, if we dismiss this evolution as something that's mere imagination, mere fantasy, and only look at our own interests without regard to the others, then we have become a really a serious problem, a serious disturbance in this world. So the choice is still before us. What do we do? How do we act? When do we wake up, actually, to who we are and how we can, how we can survive in this world? Our survival, as we said before, is at stake. Things move very fast. It's in a matter of, of years that we may reach situations in which large portions of the human population can no longer survive. The, the tremendous movements of migrants already is an indication how millions of people are forced to go in search of way, instinctively sometimes, not always purposefully, instinctively trying to find some place, somehow, to live on this planet. So all these processes have started, and we must become part of that process, recognize it, not fight it, not try to dismiss it, go with it, go with the, ten, with the, with the tide. There's a new tide coming. It can be a very hopeful tide, a very positive tide. For the first time in the history of, of life on this planet, there is a species that has come to a breaking point where he can recognize, where the members of the species can recognize what is at stake, themselves are at stake, and can also map a way, a roadmap forward, how to proceed. We can proceed the right way. We begin beginning to recognize what the world really is, not a dead sphere of matter but it's a sphere of information. Let me just add this one concept, which is very, very brilliant. The great quantum scientist David Bohm talked about the real, the operative aspect of the world. What is really pushing things the way they are going is not just information, but what he calls information is a hyphen. Something is forming, informing the world. All of the universe is informing. This is an informed evolution in the world. We can talk about in terms of quantum physics, what kind of order, what kind of dimension in the world is that which hosts, which harbors this information. I have my own thoughts on that, and, and so David, David Bohm and the quantum physics of today. It's worthwhile recognizing it. But the basic fact is that this world is highly informed. It's not passive. It's not random, it's informed. If we become aware of this, then we can act on the information that is available to us because we can resonate with that information. We pick it up. Sometimes we pick it up through experiences that are surprising. In my new book, I talk about a whole series of experiences that I've invited guests, uh, uh, over 20 people, eminent people, well-known people who describe their own spontaneous experiences, insights that come. It's amazing how we let go of the surface, what the psychologists call the monkey chatter of our brain, and go deeper down in ourselves, how we can recognize that we are really part of this ever-evolving, this coherent seeking world. And you know, we have not used a word that I'd like to use now, which is so important. I talked about coherence, but when you feel that coherence, when you become part of it, when you act on it, 
what do you do? Then you exercise love. That's the most important four-letter word in a dictionary. Unrequited, unconditional love. If, if we recognize that the electron and the neutron have a love affair, if all evolution is, a, is itself a love, an expression of love, because it's an expression of coherence between elements, non-random coherence. This world, despite of the surface incoherence, despite of the conflicts, deep down is a sphere where, co- where coherence is being sought. It's holotropic. If you look deeper down into the development in what happens in education, what happens in the, in the media, what happens in, in social development, we find so many elements where this seeking of oneness, seeking of wholeness is coming through. It's creating a positive movement. So there we are, on the one hand, on the cusp of a movement that could bring us into a new phase of flourishing, but it's also a movement that could bring us, bring us to break down. So let's insert that powerful factor that is there and it's available, that is called our consciousness. We can interact with, our, my consciousness interacts with yours, and our consciousness interacts with all others. If we can empower ourselves using our consciousness, then I think we have a real chance of creating a new, higher phase in the history of humanity. I love that you're bringing in uh, feeling our consciousness, um, and and which which is love, um, which is the whole aspect of what some refer to as inner journey, uh, or our uh, or, or our daily practice, where we're then going within and coming into the being state of love, feeling our consciousness, and bringing those values out into the world, including in business. Um, let me uh, segue over to you've referred here. Uh, once or twice to our highly developed brain and consciousness. Uh, can you share, uh, can you talk a little bit about this, our advanced consciousness that we're not making good use of? Uh, talk about that, but, and, and in the context of um, if, if we're not doing that, how can we get in touch with that? How can we do that? Well, one thing we could do is to reassess, revalidate our concept of what is the nature of our experience. You know, the classical notion, which is so powerfully dominant in the Western and in the modern world, it simply says that there is, can be nothing in the mind that, were not, that was not first in the eye. What does that mean? It means that everything that is in our consciousness must have come through our senses. Now, the power which there is in our consciousness is largely expands beyond the purely sensory level. We, we experience much more than, we, than what, we can, that's what is conveyed by an eye and an ear. If you look at modern science, quantum physics, the quantum biology, and psychology, and so on, to a very large extent, the laws, the regularities, the phenomena that is being dealt with, is not, per, not perceived, not sense-perceived phenomena. It cannot be perceived. It's beyond that. The universe as a whole is not something that you can pick up with your eye and ear. You can pull it together. You can try to reconstruct what it is from the basis of of what you perceive with your eye and ear. 
So what I'm saying is, you have to a- allow that our consciousness is far deeper, far broader than, our, than the sphere of our eye and our ear and other sensory organs. Give an example. The, when we enter into a so-called altered state of consciousness, we have many images, we have intuitions, we have insights. Sometimes it's been known that some, great scientific, some of the greatest scientific discoveries came in these altered states. It was recognized by Einstein, recognized by most, most great scientists. We have a range of our perception, of a range of our mind, that is beyond the everyday world. And it's beyond what the mainstream culture of the modern, of the modern age would allow is legitimate. Much of what we call spiritual today, when it's real lived spirituality, not idle, idle fantasizing, but lived spirituality, much of that comes to us through into our consciousness, but does not come through the senses. A lot of these great insights come in states of consciousness where you can measure the EEG, the electroencephalograph brain, brain waves. And you see that the ordinary level or the ordinary domain of these brain waves is, is exceeded when these great insights are coming. Either they go far below it, below the so-called famous alpha level of meditation, go all the way down to theta level or to the dental level, or they go way up into exaltations, into exalted states, into the highest beta levels. But we are not staying merely confined to the ordinary levels of experience. Our mind, our consciousness, our whole perceptive organ, we are a perceiving quantum system, an interconnecting, interacting quantum system. And that we have to recognize. Then if we allow that some of the insights that come to us in these altered states, they can be sometimes between waking and sleeping, sometimes in deeply modified states, can be religious exaltation, can be the experience of beauty in nature or significance in art, in a novel, in dance, in whatever. In all of these factors combine together to enlarge our sphere of perception, of a perception of who we are. And we have to allow that these things are real elements of our understanding of a comprehension of the world around us. Enlarge, enlarge, allow that your consciousness is more than we have thought. It's more than simply the workings of the of cells in the brain. It, they convey consciousness. They not, not necessarily create consciousness, a very, very great difference. It may be that our brain is an instrument, such as a receiver or a transceiver, picking up information in the world, conveying it, and not simply a local little manufacturing body which creates consciousness. A very great difference. So this brings us also to the new notions of what is consciousness. Consciousness is a natural phenomenon. I think, and I know this statement is difficult to accept, except it's not recognized already in quantum physics. That the, that the world, the whole universe, is has an element of consciousness. Perhaps it is a great consciousness itself. A great physical scientist 
have said has said about a hundred years ago that the world is more like the whole world, the, the the astronomical sphere, is more like a great thought than like a great rock. So this the whole world today in quantum science is recognized is more like a great idea, not a new idea. <laughs> of course, it was there in Hegel. It was it was there throughout for hundreds of years in traditional metaphysics. We now recognize that the real world around us is a sphere of information and information. We are a, a vibration created in this world. We are an informed vibration. It sounds highly esoteric, I know, but it is, it is probably the deepest rediscovery of who we are that we have had ever in the, in the recent history. So I think, what do we need to do? Allow our inst- your instinctive, your inherent intuitions to surface and to inform, to inspire what you do. That is a very great challenge, a very great task, and it's a very beautiful one. It enriches our life, and it gives us orientation, direction. We don't kill people. You don't use violence in any form when you are so deep down, dipping into your own deepest, deepest consciousness. We are essentially love-oriented because the universe itself is love-oriented. You don't have living systems in the universe unless there was this orientation toward coherence. And we recognize this, that we are coherent, love-oriented beings, then we start acting like that. And that, I think, is the great challenge. One of the great challenges, certainly allow your own deep apprehensions, your deep knowledge, your instinctive knowledge to emerge, then it becomes what is known as an aha experience. Aha, you say, yes, I knew it, but let's now know it, recognize it, consciously, and act accordingly. Beautiful. Many, uh, many wonderful invitations there, Urban. Uh, so you share that we've increased our numbers, but uh, have not increased the benefits of our conscious minds that, that confer on those that we're bringing into the world. So as we're uh, bringing in this aspect of, uh, of our population growth uh, that uh, is ever expanding, uh, but uh, consciousness that's not really keeping up. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Well, we've created a world of very great numbers, numbers of people resources, power, energy, information, everything that we have in this world. We are playing with very high, powerful factors. Let me just elaborate for just as a last basic thing, I think, this idea of playing. What we have been doing for the past 150, maybe 200 years, but maybe seriously only in this 21st century, is to create more and more powerful technologies that serve some immediate perception, some immediate need, usually needs for power, for influence, for money, for dominance over others. And we using the power of the atom, the energy of the atom, the nucleus. We are using the, elect- the flow of electrons in semiconductors to create systems 
that serve our needs. We are creating a world in which everything is viable, everything is practically for sale, everything can be had if we have the money and we have the power. And now we are using our, the lure of power and of money to play, to acquire more and more powerful gadgets around us. Our whole life is oriented towards serving our immediate interest, which is an interest of power and wealth. We make use of this, of the world around us, as if they were just toys or serve something serving us and without regard to what it does to others. There's a beautiful saying by Mark Twain. Mark Twain said, to a young boy with a new hammer, the whole world seems like a nail because he goes around hammering. That's what we do. If you liberate the power of the atom, we go and use it for everything that would seemingly serve our immediate wants and desires. When we use electron flows to, to create the memory and information and carry out complex pro programs, we, we look at the world as though it was a nail. And, our technologies are a hammer. The indiscriminate use of technology, self-serving use, is something which we have been engaged in and which needs to be changed because it's dangerous. It serves the immediate interests of a small minority. It does not serve the, creating, the creation of a reasonable, humanistic, equitable world. Technology is not to be dismissed, but to be used discriminately. Discriminately so, to going back to the previous idea that I mentioned, to serve the interests of the whole, the coherence of the whole. Use it lovingly. Yeah. Because when you love others, you others you don't want to dominate or conflict with them or, 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 or kill them in the, in the last instance. So. Our toy shop has to be a shop for a serious resource, a serious resource of our consciousness acting on the world around us so that we all together can create a world in which we can all be, of which we can all be proud and in which we can all be happy. An ancient idea. But when we have new technologies, when we have new power, then it's an idea that can be realized more and more progressively. We need to use our consciousness, our insight, recognize who we are, that we are part of this world, recognize that this is a quantum world in which all things interact with all other things, and together create a world that can evolve toward higher and higher levels of coherence and complexity. That, to me, is the crux of the matter. If we recognize this, then we become a serious element of a new world. Stepping away from world as a toy shop, <laughs> yes. Uh, let's come back to your Gandhi example here, Urban. You share that uh, if we are to flourish and not just survive, we must change. And you invite people to Gandhi's example to become yourself what you want the world to become. Can you uh, talk about this a little more, please? It carry force. It carry out an incredible, an incredible achievement, completely without force. 
besides using military force and economic power. He has liberated India from a colonial times into an independent state. It's purely the idea, purely the, the idea whose time has come. This is like Victor Hugo said that originally, nothing is as powerful as an idea whose time has come. So I think Gandhi's example is with us. The time has come to change, to become what we want others to become. Try it. Be one. Be one with the world. Feel yourself part of the world and then act like it. We can create a new movement. You can be a positive factor. Indeed, there's lots of examples for these positive factors, but it's not enough just simply to enumerate them. It's the question is feeling it ourselves, becoming that ourselves. It's not a question of mechanically imitating something, finding the recipe. There is no recipe outside of us, outside of our own intuitions, of our own inner life, our inner notion of who, what this world is, what is really motivating us. Gandhi showed us it can be done. When the time is coming, when the time has come, change is coming. The time has indeed come, and change is here. How do we change? Into what do we change? Do we create a world of conflict, a world in which the, the, the stronger appears to, uh, wishes and, and is decided, determined to dominate the weaker? Or do we create a world in which all can live because all can understand each other, comprehend each other, and take care of each other. And all can, idealistic as it may seem, but it's true, a world in which all can love all others. That is the idea. Nature operates like that. Sure, you mentioned it's a lower level of consciousness. I would say a less articulate consciousness in other species. But other species don't kill their own members. Other species live within the bounds of a sustainable ecosystem. You have to learn from that. There is natural violence, there is natural food chain, but it's not for, for toy, it's not for playing around, it's not for selfish purposes, it's for survival. We can create a world in which all things cooperate with all other things. That is the challenge before us. I think if we really recognize, allow our deepest intuitions to come to the fore, we recognize who we are. Yes, we can be the architect of a new world. That is my hope, and that is my message. And that'll be the last word, Irvin. And uh, wow, what a powerful uh, uh, conversation. And uh, and I think where we're leaving it here with the Gandhi example, what you where you were describing that earlier is feeling our consciousness, feeling love, coming from that place, expressing that, being that out in the world, so that. Where we're, uh, where we're with other people that don't really get what consciousness is, uh, the, they uh, feel that as an expression of you, just as uh, they felt Gandhi as, an, as this beautiful expression of who he was. So what a wonderful place to, to uh, wrap this, uh, this hour-long program up, Urban. Thank you. Thanks, thank you, Steve, because these things need to be said. They may sound a bit fantastic, too ambitious, idealistic, but we are at a time in history where either we are idealistic and we move forward 
to the to the depths of our own will and knowledge, or we risk becoming extinct. It's time to become idealistic, to be one, but to become realistic at the same time. And conversations like we have had with you can be a major help because they bring to the surface ideas that we may have thought about, but we did not clearly articulate. We need to articulate it. We live at a critical time, a crucial time, and we can be the architect of a new world. That is our task. That is our privilege. And it is something we can and must live up to. Thank you so much, Irvin. Thank you for your leadership in the world, your many contributions to, uh, to an awakened world. Thank you. And uh, this was a very valuable conversation. I know I'm speaking for all the viewers and listeners. And on behalf of Humanities Team, the Conscious Business Enterprise, Voice of America, and Light on Light Magazine, thank you very much. Uh, and thank you, uh, listeners and viewers, for being with us. Hi, my name is Peter Matisse, and I'm the founder of the Conscious Business Institute. I created the Institute in 2005 because I saw that our world would be faced with fundamental changes and that our existing ways to conduct business were not designed to meet these challenges ahead of us. To succeed in the future, we don't need new processes or tools. We need a new consciousness, a new thinking for the way we conduct business. Our world is at a crossroads. Most of us can feel the impact in our daily lives. Go through the corridors of your organization and ask yourself, are your people managing a healthy workload or are they getting burnt out? Are they fulfilled and engaged? And are they feeling a sense of belonging? And does your company have a culture that's able to attract the best talent? As the former CEO of IBM, Lou Gerstner said, culture isn't just one aspect of the game, it is the game. At the Conscious Business Institute, we've created a measurable, proven, and truly scalable system for building more inspiring organizations. Our programs have helped companies from one to over 100,000 people on five continents to improve the way they operate and perform. Whether you're looking for a systematic approach to improve your culture and leadership, or need to solve a specific issue in your team, whether you want to reach every employee in your organization or are just looking for powerful one-on-one -on -one coaching, get in touch with us at ConsciousBusinessInstitute.com to understand how we can support you. Let us help you turn your company into a post-child organization, a place where people feel they belong, where they're willing to give their best and together create amazing things. Let's come together to create a better way to work and live. Welcome back to The Convergence on Voice America. Our program is Conscious Business for a Flourishing World, and we're listening to interviews with prominent thought leaders on this topic. So I'm here with Peter Matisse, founder of the Conscious Business Institute, one of the hosts of this special Voice America program. So Peter, you had an opportunity to have an at-length discussion with integral philosopher Ken Wilber. So, Peter, introduce Ken and give us a bit of an introduction about that interview, and then we can go right over to it. Yes, Kurt, thank you. I had the opportunity for a rich discussion with Ken Wilber. Many of our listeners know Ken is one of the most well-known philosophers in the world today, mostly known for his development of the integral theory. I often heard Ken being referred to as the Einstein of consciousness studies. Currently, he's the most widely translated academic writer in America. 25 of his books have been translated into more than 30 languages. In our conversation, we'll discuss how this integral theory 
could really become a framework for building a better, healthier, and more balanced world. How it can be used to build better businesses and to deal with some of the challenges we're facing in our world today. Great, Peter. Thanks so much. So let's go over right now and listen to this amazing discussion between Peter Matisse and philosopher Ken Wilber. Ken, thank you so much for being on the show again. I really appreciate you making the time here. Delighted to be here, Peter. Yeah, I want to take a look at the ACO framework and the Eurintegral framework and how it can apply to business. Um, the way we conduct business these days isn't really working anymore. If you look at the Gallup research studies, it shows that only one in seven people is engaged in their work. Yep. And more than 40% of all illnesses are now attributed to workplace stress. Um, I believe we really need a new model. Rethink the way we conduct business. So I wonder how can your integral model help build better organizations? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's truly a problem. And one of the first things to notice about that <clears throat> is at least some very leading edge businesses have noted that and at least um, a relatively fair number of them have started to institute actual integral business practices. And there's a, um, a good deal of evidence out there uh, showing this. So, Uh, among the um, extremely successful businesses, dozens of extremely successful businesses that have incorporated integral framework in, into how the structure and function across the board. I'll give just um, a very, very few uh, number of examples just so you can um, see what I'm talking about. And I'll include uh, people like John Mackey of Whole Foods. Um, Alan Watkins of Complete Coherence. Complete Coherence is a London consulting firm um, that Alan started. And then I'll also include Robert Keegan, the well-known Harvard developmentalist. But Alan Watkins says, uh, and Alan and them, by the way, have adopted the full integral framework, quadrants, levels, lines, states, types, um, and applied that to every aspect of business and business consulting. So when they're brought in, they bring this fully integral business model into play. And here's just a quick summary of what Alan Watkins has found. I and my colleagues have successfully road tested this integral model with 450 global CEOs, including 70% of the FTSE, the best CEOs in India and China, plus luminaries in the Fortune 500. We wanted to determine whether they could think of anything that is not included in this new model of business. Not one of them could. As a result, we share this model extensively with clients and encourage them to think about the challenges they are facing in terms of this integral approach. And when I say they're using it, they really are using quadrants and levels and lines and states and types. So if we look at John Mackey's Whole Foods, for example, which is the mm -hmm. single most successful retail food business in the last several decades, um, the, 
he summarized, he and his co-author, Raj Sisodia, summarized this approach in a book that they call Conscious Capitalism. Some people have trouble with capitalism. I understand that. But this is really just a summary of a more integral business in general. And they cover all the elements. So when it comes to the four quadrants, um, the four fundamental tenets of conscious capitalism cover the four main quadrants. It's one tenet for each quadrant. When it comes to levels or actual stages of growing up, John says that a crucial aspect of this integral business is, quote, evolving to higher levels of consciousness in stages. So each of the Whole Foods teams is divided into four or five levels of growth, and their work is designed to help them develop to higher and more whole levels on the part of the team members themselves. As for levels, Robert Keegan, uh, who at Harvard, a very well-known, um, highly respected theorist at Harvard, he also runs a, a business um, consultation service, and he's worked with an enormous number of highly successful businesses. And he works specifically to make the companies what he calls a DDO, which stands for Deliberately Developmental Organization. And that means when they consult a company, they have every person of the, of the company from entry, entry level to CEO is helped to move through these stages of growing up. And the more they do so, the better they get at their jobs. So Decurion, which is a company um, that Keegan works with, and by the way, he's worked with companies like um, Bridgewater Hedge Fund, which the economist itself called the most successful hedge, com hedge fund company in history. So Decurion, uh, which itself um, is the most successful theater chain in the country, they've become a DDO. So Decurion says, Individuals naturally develop. Our structures and practices create conditions that pull people into greater levels of complexity and wholeness. So in other words, actually help them to grow up. And this is just focusing on these interior dimensions that because they fully show up, of course they work with product quality and marketing and exterior stakeholders and so on, but I'm just giving examples of, of growing up using levels of development. You don't find this happening in very many businesses that don't have some sort of integral um, access and integral approach. Decurion says, by the way, our experience has shown us that pursuing profitability and human growth emerges as one thing. In other words, the more people grow and develop, the more profitable the business becomes. And the, happel, the, the happier the people, the employees are, the less sick leave they take, uh, the more engagement they show. Um, I think Whole Foods, for example, you said typically one out of seven businesses 
um, have employees who are engaged in Whole Foods, it's much more like three out of four. And that's because of this attention to interiors, not just to profit. Although, as I'll show again, these end up being enormously connected. So then quadrants, levels, we also want lines of development or multiple intelligences. Alan Watts says, and by the way, in Alan Watts, who, as I said, uses all the elements of an integral framework for levels, they have 10 major levels. And through lines of development, they have eight major lines that are all moving through those major levels. And the lines that, that his company includes are cognitive intelligence, emotional intelligence, uh, kinesthetic intelligence, ego intelligence, values intelligence, behavior intelligence, and networking or systems intelligence. They measure each of those when they're working with leaders or working with a company. They measure the degree of development in each of those lines. And then they have specific practices to help their um, clients grow and develop um, through those lines. So Alan says, a fast track to business transformation requires all of those lines to be adequately developed. I have witnessed time and again what is possible when an individual vertically develops across all eight lines. They literally become unrecognizable from the individual who began the developmental journey. They become brilliant every single day. So that's quadrants, levels, lines. What about states and waking up? Well, John Mackey says explicitly that, quote, contemplative practices and, quote, timeless wisdom are required for integral business. So to quote him directly, contemplative practices such as meditation, yoga, tai chi, breathing exercises, chanting, visualizations, and centering prayer are all very valuable in helping an individual develop into a more conscious leader. So the point is that there are already incredibly successful businesses that are taking an integral approach. A gentleman by the name of Frederick Laloux did a survey of some of the most respected and successful businesses around the world. He found that dozens of them were what he actually called teal organizations. Now, TAIL is the name that integral theory gives to one of the highest levels of growing up. It's where the stages start to become integrated or integral or truly holistic. If you're looking at, let's say, an eight-stage model of growing up, TAIL is stage seven, and it opens on to stage eight. So this really are quite high. This is what he's finding businesses that are enormously successful, highly respected, um, are actually coming from those levels of consciousness. So Latour calls the book that was surveying all of these extraordinary businesses, these integral businesses, he calls the book Reinventing Organizations because these integral businesses are evolutionary reinventions across the board 
of how business itself is done. And that's because they're all including all of these crucial elements, quantum, civil science, states, and types. And as for profit, profitability, the last thing that I'll mention uh, on this brief overview for business, because everybody in business is worried about profits. Uh, uh, John Mackey's co-author of Conscious Capitalism, which lays out the integral structure of Whole Foods, has named uh, Raj Sisodia. He's a, a highly respected business consultant at Harvard. So Sisodia looked for other firms that had similar structures to Whole Foods. Sisodia and his team found around 40 of them. What was so amazing is that these companies, over a 15-year period, where the S&P 500 went up 157%, these companies went up a stunning 1,646%. This is even way higher than Jim Collins' classic companies that he described in his book, Good to Great, where the best of them managed around 300% versus 1,600%. These integral companies are blowing the competition away while also being more inclusive, more human growth producing, much more socially conscious, and by the way, staggeringly more profitable. So it's really astonishing what's going on out there. And it's very encouraging for a brighter tomorrow. It also means if you're not operating, if you're not operating an integral business at using some of these integral elements, then you're not anywhere near the full potential that your business can reach. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I'm completely with you. And I just want to point out those books to our listeners in case you're interested. That's Reinventing Organizations from Frederick Laloux, which we can highly recommend. And then Firms of Endearment, the studies about these purpose-driven companies by Rush Sisodia. Also highly recommend that. Right. Um, I was just able to speak to a group of about 60 senior HR executives last week uh, down in Los Angeles, and we outlined our integral model on how we work with organizations, which always creates an enormous transformation. Uh, they all gelled with it. There was not a single hiccup. Um, they all said this would be so amazing to integrate in our companies. And then they said it would be difficult to convince our CEOs to do that because they're always so profit-driven, despite right. all the facts that show that these integral companies make more money. Um, so if I'm a leader in an organization or maybe just simply a manager that's building a group of, running a group of um, people, what could I do and how could I use an integral approach in my individual career to improve my leadership or my organization? Sure. What could I practically do aside from hiring an organization <coughs> like, like uh, the ones you mentioned? Well, yeah, basically, um, we have this um, overall integral meta theory, this integral framework that has five or six fundamental elements, although you know, the whole theory has an enormous number of, of other elements that 
if you're really curious, you can look into them. But we're going over just some of the real essentials. And the fact is that um, the more of those essentials that you include, then the more successful the outcome. But you don't have to include all of them. I mean, some people will just take one and say, wow, I could really use that. And they'll focus on that. So you can focus on, if you're just working with your own leadership and, and trying to improve that, you can focus on quadrants. I mean, quadrants, among many other things, as I said, they show up just bloody everywhere. But among other things, the four quadrants are the home of the four major types of business management theories. So we have, and the, they have different names, and some of them are older and have been tweaked, and they're kind of newer versions. But um, some of the widely recognized names for these major schools of, of business management is Theory X, Theory Y, Culture Management, and Systems, or Systems Theory mm -hmm. Management. Those are indeed the four quadrants. And each, you don't and shouldn't just pick one of those. All four of those, and we say this with integral over and over, all four of those are equally important. You should be touching bases with some of the true but partial truths of each of those. You can look at levels. We already mentioned deliberately develop mental organizations. Studies consistently show that if, well, let's say we've got a developmental model with, again, around eight major levels or eight basic stages of development. Research consistently shows, and you can see this in Keegan's research and um, Elliot Jacques' research, that lower management, again, on this eight-scale model, Lower management usually has people at around levels four and five, middle management at around levels five and six, and upper management at levels seven and eight. So if you want to increase your leadership capacity, don't just learn some horizontal skills. Those are always fine, but what you especially want to learn is new vertical levels actually work on your growing up. That's the single most fundamentally important item in becoming a more successful and more effective leader. We talked about lines. Um, we heard Alan Watkins explain the eight lines that they use and how they train all eight of them. And that was including cognitive intelligence, emotional intelligence, values intelligence, and systems intelligence. Whole Foods specifically includes cognitive intelligence, emotional intelligence, spiritual intelligence, and systems intelligence. And as Alan said, the people that actually do that training become unrecognizable, his term, as a result of this training. He said they become brilliant every day. Mm -hmm. And then States. States can be a profoundly important contribution to leadership, even if it's just something simple like engaging in mindfulness. But we already heard John Mackey of Whole Foods say that contemplative practice and timeless wisdom are crucial for effective 
leadership. So the idea is simply engage some or all of integral, and that's the most effective things that you can do to increase your um, capacities. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for summarizing that. I always compare change with uh, transformation. And if you, if I hear you speak about learning a new skill, it's always change to be better at something or to learn something a little different. But when I hear you speak about uh, uh, up-leveling our consciousness, it's a true transformation to something that wasn't there before. Right. Yeah. So I would like to pick up on your systemic uh, issues because we're facing systemic issues in our world. And if we talk about organizations, there's, those are systems. If you look at the dynamic inside those organizations, or maybe our political system even, you, you'll find an enormous amount of miscommunication, put political maneuvering, making sure positions aren't threatened, and so on. So what can we do to break through those dynamics as a culture so that we can create teams, families, even organizations where we can connect with each other without creating so much conflict or friction? Yeah, um, there's um, a lot of specific um, techniques, um, um, skills, items you can learn. And again, from the whole integral framework, um, improving almost any of those will help with this enormous problem of distortion, miscommunication, even resentment, even revenge. But one of the ones, um, and I haven't talked very much about now, but it is this whole notion of cleaning up mm -hmm. is one of the major, major um, disruptors of smooth interpersonal communication are People's shadow elements. They are everywhere. Nobody escapes childhood without a significant degree of shadow material. And it is just um, a nightmare. It's a genuine nightmare. So um, what happens with shadow material is that we can deny and disown parts of our own being our shadow material. We push them out of awareness. Mm -hmm. And then often we'll project those shadow elements onto others, onto family, colleagues, friends, bosses. So we end up disliking or even hating them for qualities that we first hated in ourselves. And the problem is not coming to terms with them The problem is coming to terms with our shadows first. Then we can start to see them more accurately and clearly. So maybe you have, um, a, let's say, a lot of very strong over-controlling tendencies in yourself. Uh, but you don't like that. So you deny it. You dissociate it. You disown it. Now, you know somebody is an over-controlling bastard, but it can't be you. So it must be somebody else, anybody else, just not you. So you look around to find a likely suspect. We call them a good hook for your projection. And mm -hmm. it's often somebody that actually has 
some of the qualities that you want to project and get out of your own system. And so you look around and bam, you decide your boss. Perfect. So you project your nasty over controlling tendencies onto your boss. Now, again, the boss might have over controlling tendencies, but everybody else in the company seems to manage to put up with it, but it's driving you nuts. And what's driving you nuts is that now, in addition to the boss's own over-controlling tendencies, the boss now has yours too. So you're getting a double dose of over-controlling that would drive anybody nuts. <laughs> but it's certainly driving you nuts. So now the stage is set for an enormous amount of distortion, reactivity, miscommunication, and resentment. And this kind of shadow issue occurs across the board in virtually every area um, imaginable. As I said, nobody really escapes childhood without some degree of shadow issues. And families, communities, businesses, organizations, political parties, religions, all of them have various degrees of shadow material. And these issues are almost never addressed in any really effective way, not in any sort of ongoing day-to-day -day basis. So any truly comprehensive or integral approach to business, to spirituality, to politics, and so on, includes a serious cleaning up aspect. And that means that you really do have to undertake um, therapeutic processes, but there are some very simple, very effective ways to handle um, 80 or 90% of shadow material. And um, you can look this up uh, in a lot of my books. We could call it the 321 process, which is just you tend to disown, dissociate, deny material by taking it from where it starts, which is part of your first-person awareness. It belongs to you. It's a quality of you. But then you disown it. You dissociate. You push it away into a second-person reality. And then if that's not enough, you shove it all the way over to a third-person reality. And that's when you projected it onto the world around you, onto your boss or your spouse or colleagues. Or you can, of course, you see really horrible things in the world, like terrorist activity, um, murderers, and so on. And that will bother you, which if you have a conscience, it should. But if it starts driving you truly crazy, then it's very likely you've, you have a little bit of those qualities in yourself. You don't want to admit that. And so you're projecting them onto these other individuals. And again, you get that double dosing. And whenever you get any trait that becomes double dosed, a person that has the real trait, and then you project your trait onto them, so you get a double dose, you're then clinically disturbed. You will have serious symptoms. You'll be in serious mental health issues. And by the way, 
uh, over 50% of the population in um, research has shown has some sort of serious emotional and mental illness. So that's certainly going to occur in business. And because it's so widespread, just even in these subtle ways of the things that you don't like in yourself, you offload into other people and then you react to them with the same negativity that you reacted to this trait when it was in you and you didn't like yourself for having it. So you simply denied it, tossed it out and threw it onto somebody else. The three, two, one process simply reverses that. It, it tries to spot where whatever the thing is that's really, really upsetting you, then that's very likely a shadow element that you've projected. And this can show up in your dreams too. It might show up as a monster trying to eat you or something like that. So you first identify what it is that's bothering you, whether it's a monster in the dream or your over-controlling boss, whatever that is, it's showing up as the third person. It's, it's not you, it's them. So you take that person or that monster from your dream or your spouse, whoever it is that you're overreacting to, and in something like gestalt therapy, you'll actually put them in what's called an empty chair. So you're sitting in one chair, there's an empty chair across from you, and you put this disturbing element in that chair. And then you simply talk to them, literally. In your imagination, of course. But you can also, yourself, say the words out loud if you want. But now you've converted them from a third person, an it out there, into a second person. Mm -hmm. Now you're talking to that thing as a you. So if it's your over-controlling boss or the monster from the dream that wants to eat you and kill you, you just talk to them. Why are you so over-controlling? Or why do you want to kill me? Why do you want to eat me? And then you let them answer. When, when the monster or the boss or the spouse answers, you, of course, are playing their role and you answer for them. So you ask your boss, why are you so damned over-controlling? And your boss might say, well, because you're a screw up, I have to watch over you. I have to make sure you don't mess things up worse and so on. And then you go, well, why do you think that? And you just have this conversation back and forth. What you'll start to do as you are engaging in this dialogue is because you're identifying with the person that you put your shadow on, then you're starting to feel that shadow from within as the person it belongs to. And if it's the monster from your dream and you're talking to the monster and the monster has this enormous aggression aimed at you, it wants to kill you, the more you identify with that monster, the more you start to feel the aggression that that monster had. And it was when you projected your aggression that you started getting this monster nightmare showing up regularly. So now when you're identifying with the monster, you're starting to re-identify with that aggression. You're starting to take it back. So then the final step, change that from second person to first person. Then go ahead and you identify with that aggression or you identify, re-identify with that over-controlling um, nastiness. 
And so you're taking this quality back. You're taking the shadow material back. You're converting it from third person to second person to first person. You're converting it from an it to an I. And by the way, just as a really interesting side note, when Freud was asked what psychoanalysis did, how he would summarize it, he said, where it was, their ego shall be. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, Freud never once used the term ego or id, ever. In Freud's actual writing, he used the German pronouns. He didn't use the word ego. He used the word the I. Mm-hmm. And he didn't use the word id. He used the pronoun the it. And so when he said, and it was mistranslated as where id was, their ego shall be, what he actually said was where it was, their I shall become. And that's a perfect summary of taking back these dissociated elements and reintegrating them into our I, taking them from a third person it to a second person you to a first person I. You can actually learn that technique and make it a very simple part of your everyday awareness. So when you find something, by the way, you can project positives as well as negatives. So it's not just you project your anger and your over-controllingness or your jealousy or any of those negatives. People as often project their goodness, their specialness, their beauty. And then they end up hero-worshipping people and saying, oh, that person's so great. Oh, that person is such a beautiful soul. And they, haven't, they can't find any beauty in themselves at all. So they need to re-own that as well. And that can make a staggeringly huge difference in a person's self-esteem and how they actually feel about themselves. And moreover, whenever you take any of these shadow elements back, You're just finding things that are already in you. You just have, in the classic sense, repressed them, pushed them out of consciousness. They're yours. You just don't know it. That's a massive problem. We see it all the time in business. We certainly see it all the time in spirituality. Hundreds of novels have been written about priests who have a staggering shadow issue and they get into religion because they want that to fix the shadow elements. Guess what? It won't fix them. So you have, if you want an integral spirituality, you definitely want waking up, but you also need cleaning up. So that's just another example of why these integral approaches, because they're dealing with the realities that are actually there, then taking those into account can make things much, much more effective and successful and fulfilling. Yeah, so if we just imagine an organization where leaders or everybody really would do that, or in the families we would do that, it would change. Oh, extraordinary. Yeah, it would change everything. Yeah, it would bring the shadow to light and then the light, um, it transforms. So, so right. thank you. Thank you for that uh, um, suggestion there. Uh, I'd like to go back to the bigger picture. As a philosopher, Uh, what do you really see as the biggest challenging we're facing today? Yeah, well, again, um, 
one of the real, real major problems is that virtually all of these integral elements, and we've seen how really central they are to things like spirituality, things like business, things like straightening out communication and clearing shadow elements out. But virtually all of those elements just aren't recognized in any significant way by today's culture. So I said, just for example, ask any college professor, what are some of the major stages of growing up humans go through? You'll get an absolutely blank stare, deer caught in headlights stare. Ask them what enlightenment is. Ask them, for God's sakes, what's awakening? What's the Torah? What's realization? What's the great liberation? You don't know that. And by the way, the cultures that have things like enlightenment, awakening, satori, moksha, metamorphosis. Every one of them maintains that that is our only route to ultimate truth. They recognize relative truths, but this is the only way you can get to ultimate truth, to a direct awareness of that ground of all being. And we've seen that does give you ultimate truth. It won't tell you much about relative truth at all. Like it won't even tell you that the earth isn't flat. So we have to add, and fortunately, because ultimate and relative are non-two, they're non-dual, then we have to add to that ultimate truth, relative truth. But our culture is unaware of, of the essentials of, of both of them. We certainly don't know much about ultimate truth. And again, college professors have no bloody idea what it is. But even important things like growing up and showing up, absolutely not really present in our culture. And these are fundamental potentials of human beings. And people are being lied to about them by today's culture. These are all types of real wholeness, real potentials that make all human activities more meaningful, more conscious, more effective, more fulfilling, more purpose-driven, more passionate. But our culture has virtually none of them. It recognizes virtually none of them. And young kids today especially say they can't find any purpose or meaning or passion in life. Well, how could they when they're being lied to about so much of their own real potential? So there's virtually nothing in our culture that helps people wake up or grow up or open up or show up or even clean up for that matter. Mm -hmm. We can't even really discuss intelligently the global problems that people face and they aren't even given the tools to address them with. So we're facing like global, global warming and all those things, which might be the obvious most pressing issues that we're having as our culture. But below that, you're saying that these, these principles, how we see the world is, is really the core issue. Well, a very simple example on that. One of the problems that we face when it comes to climate change or global warming 
and it's well understood. They're actually called climate deniers. Now, here's one of the real problems if you look at the, these overall elements of an integral approach. We've talked about growing up and just really, in, in a very simple way, just gone through what these, some of these major stages are like. And what we find growing up is each stage is an increase in wholeness. The whole of one stage becomes part of the larger whole of the next stage, and so on through all of these stages of growing up. So just even the, the, the simple four-stage model we gave, go from egocentric, and then that expands into ethnocentric, and then all ethnocentric cultures are brought together into world-centric, and then all of them are integrated in the integral stage. Now, if you look at what that actually means, you can only, a human being can only fully grasp a global systems view of things when they move to the world-centric or universal stage of development. Ethnocentric stages of development simply can't grasp those kinds of complex network systems hold, system realities. So for somebody at an ethnocentric or lower stage of development, a concept like a global systems network that is being affected, where if you burn a wood fire in your backyard in Texas, it's going to have an effect on world climate everywhere. That's not obvious. That's not something that can really be seen by somebody at ethnocentric or lower. Here's the scary part. Studies consistently show that on average, and by the way, these percentages will vary a little bit depending on exactly which multiple intelligence you're measuring, but on average, 60 60 to 70% of the world's population are at ethnocentric or lower stages of development. Mm -hmm. And that means 60 to 70% of the population doesn't even understand global warming. Of course they don't. They can't believe in it if they can't see it, if they can't think it, if they don't even know what it means. So it just appears to be some big abstract thing that has no meaning for them. And so as much as we've known about the science of global warming over the past 30 years, what's actually been done about it remains pathetically minuscule. And this is just one reason, but you can see how just growing up itself contributes to we have to have a larger percentage of the population at universal care stages of development, at world-centric stages of development, if people are even going to be able to address world-centric problems. If you're an egocentric or ethnocentric, you can't see them, you don't know what they mean, and you don't give a rat's ass. And the horrifying problem is that nobody Again, 
these elements are all left out of how we approach our problems. Nobody talks about this. They just talk about, oh, we have to make laws that will force people to do this and force people to do that. But that, that's always been a lousy way to get people to change. change well, at this point in time, when Greta Thunberg speaks to the United Nations and 60 to 70 percent are really egocentric or ethnocentric and don't get it, it's uh, quite meaningless what I hear. Well, exactly. And that's, that's part of the problem. And again, it's not just that, that that's where people are in growing up. It's that growing up as a topic isn't even discussed in any policy meetings, in any plans for what we should do. The United Nations, with certain very small little subcommittees, most United Nations members have no concept of growing up development. So it's not even mentioned. It's just not even part of what we think about for the solution. So by the way, good luck fixing that one. Yeah. So when it uh, comes down to comes to each and every one of us, because we each and every one can, can, can do the work and can grow up and maybe businesses can take the lead because they are the most powerful institution in our world these days. That's and right. if we can introduce it into businesses and even do it for ourselves. We can maybe make a positive dent in the universe. Absolutely. Okay. Well, Thanks so much, Ken. Uh, wonderful discussion with you. And uh, thank you again so much for your time. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, my pleasure, my delight. You know, I'm all um, a great fans and members of what you're doing. So I'm delighted to be here and um, help nudge this conversation along. Thank you. Okay, y'all. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks so much, Ken and Peter, for that informative and inspiring discussion. This is Kurt Johnson again, your series host. I want to let the listening audience know that there is a second track of Ken Wilbur discussing at length with Peter, Integral Principles and Vision. We've made it into an audio video, which is posted at our Light on Light website, which is at www.lightonlight.us, where you can find it at the homepage and also in recent posts. So that's at www.lightonlight.us, and it's entitled Integral Principles with Ken Wilbur for Conscious Business Magazine. In addition, we've asked Ken to speak further for a few moments here, drawing your attention to where you can find out more about the integral vision and especially online programs that provide a detailed look at this important holistic integral worldview. And also at our website where we've posted this special second audio video, we've posted the URLs that Ken mentions in the short message that follows right now. So over now to this additional message from Ken Wilbur, uh, where to find out more about the integral vision and worldview. And then with a short message from the evolutionary leaders, we'll move right over to our conclusion with Peter Matisse, Steve Farrell, and Deborah Moldau. So here's Ken, and then Deborah of the Evolutionary Leaders. Hello, everybody. My name is Ken Wilbur, and I'm one of the major pioneers, I guess you could say, of what's known as the integral approach. Whether it's applied to integral medicine or integral education, 
or integral business or even integral spirituality. It claims to integrate the best approaches in any of those fields. It seriously attempts to take literally all of the major approaches in a particular discipline and bring them together and, indeed, integrate them. When done well, this brings together the real strengths of each of the different approaches to a particular field, creating an enormously successful and widely applicable version of that endeavor. Business, education, healthcare, whatever it might be. The integral approach has been in use around the world for several decades and has been successfully applied to over 60 different human disciplines with terrific results. If you'd like more information on this remarkable approach, please check out integrallife.com slash what hyphen is hyphen integral hyphen approach slash. This is Ken. Thank you very much for listening. When the hate comes, let there be love. When the night falls, let there be peace. Who are the evolutionary leaders? The evolutionary leaders in service to conscious evolution, a project of the Source of Synergy Foundation, are a community of visionary authors, speakers, scientists, social activists, spiritual leaders, and futurists who are on the cutting edge of the current evolution of human consciousness. This evolutionary leap is vital at this critical moment in time when humanity must choose a different path based on caring for one another and for the planet that gives us life. This is the time for a new kind of leader to step forward so that together we can forge a bright new future for all. There are many well-known evolutionary leaders in our circle and some whose work is behind the scenes, but all are highly creative leaders in their own field, thinking outside the box and encouraging others to expand their worldview into new dimensions of vision and action on behalf of all humanity. Members of the Evolutionary Leaders community are partnering on various events and initiatives. Evolutionary leaders are forming synergy circles across shared interest areas such as education, science and spirituality, and conscious business, as well as local synergy circles as a way for thought leaders and activists to join their genius in exciting activities, publications, and online conferences that will also include the public. And the evolutionary leaders will have a collective book coming out through a major publisher in 2020. So stay tuned. Are you part of the evolutionary community? Everyone at the edge of the current transformation of consciousness is invited to visit evolutionaryleaders.net and sign the call to conscious evolution. You'll receive our newsletter, The Edge, to keep you up to date. We are all in this together, and your contribution is vital to the whole. On behalf of the evolutionary leaders... 
Thank you. One people world connected at the core. So to show one people world connected at the Well, thanks, Peter, Steve, and Deborah for joining me up front to introduce both of these Voice America specials entitled Conscious Business for a Flourishing World 1 and Conscious Business for a Flourishing World 2. These have been really amazing and informative discussions. So joining me now again for a wrap-up of both of these Voice America specials on conscious business are, once again, Steve Farrell, Worldwide Executive Director of Humanities Team, Peter Matisse, founder of the Conscious Business Institute, and Deborah Moldau, International Director of the Evolutionary Leaders. They are also a part of the team which will be producing the new Conscious Business magazine, which in its first issue, coming out at the end of 2019, contains important articles on all these subjects from some 20 influential business and thought leaders. So, Steve, Peter, and Deborah, let's each take a turn in giving your reflections on these two Voice America programs and this first issue of Conscious Business Magazine entitled Conscious Business for a Flourishing World. And tell us about your particular priorities for where you think this discussion should go in the future. So let's start with Steve Farrell. You bet. Yeah, thank you, Kurt. And um, well, well, let me share, I think, what's obvious here after listening to these uh, thought leaders and business leaders is that conscious business is a moral imperative. It's a moral imperative. Uh, this is anything but just normal business talking points here that we're walking in. What we're sharing is that uh, uh, business needs to undergo a fundamental change. And there's a real movement. Uh, I'm not sure that all of these speakers use that term, but taken together, uh, listening to each of their individual voices, th there's a movement of business leaders, of thought leaders, of social leaders, of governmental leaders coming together that believe that, uh, that now is the time for business to undergo uh, real change such that it becomes conscious business. And conscious business is nothing more than uh, business that's sustaining life, that's supporting life, that's enhancing life. And when you step back and think about it, well, why, <laughs> why, why are we, why didn't we focus on this 100 years ago or 200 years ago? It, actually, business, if we go back uh, in time a little bit, we can see that it was very honorable and it actually was focused on supporting and enhancing life. We've just kind of gotten off track. And these leaders are sharing, we need to get back on track. Now, a couple of things I'll emphasize. One, the Conscious Business Declaration that we've been talking about. We just invite you to go to ConsciousBusinessDeclaration.org to take a, a look at it and see if you, uh, if you resonate with it, if you get an inner yes when you read it. And if you do, we invite you to sign it. And then more importantly, or as importantly, bring the... Uh, the, the, the provisions of that declaration into your daily life and into your business and your organization. Um, now, 
regarding these, uh, these, some of these thought leaders that we've just listened to, uh, Urban Laszlo, I think, makes important points that, we're, that we need to move away from the American dream, which we talked a little bit about. He uses the term toys, move away from, uh, from monetary toys. Another way of describing that would be to move away from extraction and the earth as a refrigerator, as if it was not a living being, that it is. And that instead, uh, we need to move in the direction toward where we each embody it, where, where we live these new values, where we be the change that we wish to see in the world. Chris Laszlo, then, in, the, uh, in what he walks in, the, this research that, that is uh, it's out on the, on, on the very edge, uh, published by Stanford Press, that says that inner journey is so important. When we talk about building uh, and creating cultures and organizations, uh, and that inner journey then brings us into these being states where we're in touch with the rhythm of life so that these values of, of life, of families, of communities, of the earth itself are part of, the, uh, a part of what collaboration is and decision-making is within the organization. It's so important, uh, his research. As was previously mentioned, uh, Ken Wilber's a role here, and he created something called the All Quadrants, All Levels, or AQAL methodology that points out the importance of inner journey, uh, that very simple little model that he created has got the outer world on one side and the inner world on the other side, and he shares that we've created a flat land, and what is a flat land? A flat land is where our focus is almost entirely on the outer world and where we're ignoring the inner world, our, our heart's values, our, our deepest values. And he says we've got to heal that. How? By creating balance between the inner and the outer. And then Paul Pullman, who uh, is so important because he's a business leader, as was mentioned. He was the CEO of Unilever. Uh, he stepped out and now doing consulting work, but Within Unilever, uh, he was bringing real consciousness to business, and there are other leaders, uh, such as the CEO of Patagonia, doing the same thing. Uh, so, and these are so important, these CEOs that are actually uh, on the front line, bringing real consciousness to business and demonstrating that uh, uh, these aren't radical ideas at all. In fact, we can actually increase our business as we increase our consciousness of business. So, those are a few things I'd I call attention to, uh, and just hope that uh, hope that people find real value in uh, in these programs. I think personally, they're extremely valuable. Yeah, Steve, thank you so much. And this is, of course, why we've you know said that both of these broadcasts are evergreen; they're long-term, permanent resources. And this is also true of every issue that we're projecting for the new imprint, Conscious Business, that it can really be a baseline for the discussion that you've all been outlining. So, so Peter Matisse, you've been so instrumental in bringing together the table of contents of the magazine and also the participations in these two Voice America shows. So uh, would you like to give us your reflections and uh, where you see this all going? Yeah, good question, Kurt. Thank you. I'm happy to tell you a little bit about those thoughts. Well, first of all, I think in those interviews it became very clear that we're really at a crossroads in our world here, that 
on all three levels, we are hitting a wall. And by all three levels, I mean on a global level, uh, our climate is is uh, is threatened. Um, our environment is threatened. We are, as Steve said, living as though the world would be a refrigerator here and we can always take. So that's clearly not sustainable. But also on a business level, every organization that we speak with sees that they cannot move forward in the way they've moved forward with. Because quite frankly, it's just not working. Their people are burning out. Uh, they can't access the correct talent. So they are also asking, how can we transform so that we become more sustainable. They might not be fully in the conscious business space that yet, but they know there must be some transformation in order to go forward. But also the third level, on the personal level, we see that people are burning out. Um, de depression is going through the roof. Uh, people want to work with more purpose if you look at the millennials. So if you look at all of these three areas, global, business, and personal, uh, we are hitting the wall on all three levels. And you can see the trajectory where we are headed if we are not changing anything. So again, when we speak to organizations, everybody wants to do better. Everybody wants to improve their organization. There is an enormous amount of pressure, a yearning for a better way when we speak to the employees and companies. But then when we go in and actually do the work, it's, it turns out that it's not that easy, that it's actually a journey. Uh, that the business leaders, they want to build great cultures, they want to do good, but they still exert pressure in the organization and things go south from there. As a professional, we want more fulfillment, we want more purpose, but we might stay in a job longer than we want to because we need to, need to make some money, because basically fear governs our behaviors. So in order to make it work, we, we need to embark on this common journey and actually, actually make conscious business work in our practical lives and not just talk about it. Uh, so I believe what's really important going forward, and this is what I would like to see for these magazines and, and the Voice America show, is to really build a global community where we can support each other, where we can pull together as the forethinkers, as the ones who've walked the path and who are willing to walk this path, and together make this a standard for the future. Make it real for people. It doesn't matter whether you're a CEO, a manager, or just working the front desk in, in an organization. So what I see as the, for this magazine, the show, is to really become the go-to place for people who want to improve the way we work, conduct business, and change the way we succeed in our world. And it is really, the way I see it, it's driven much more by the community. We might have pulled together some people this time around, but we want to ask the community going forward, what do we need to do to make the next steps? What do you need in order to make your next steps? Which people can we bring into the magazine and the show who can deliver on that? For example, if you're an entrepreneur and you want to, want to build a company from the ground up that's more conscious, maybe we want to bring in a Richard Branson. Maybe we want to bring in a Charlie Kleisner or somebody else who's more of a conscious investor type. So they can share their uh, experiences, the pitfalls, uh, the ways that worked for them. And, and so we can all learn from that. So bottom line, I think it has become very clear in this magazine um, that a change is needed. And we see this magazine as a facilitating force in the world where we can rally around and all become part of this movement together. Wow, Peter. Yeah, that's really uh, great to hear that summary and vision. And we really look forward uh, going forward working with both you and Steve on the guest editorial, the staff, where this the whole magazine Conscious Business is going, so thanks so much. Now, now Deborah, as you know, uh, the evolutionary leaders we often refer to as our stable 
of all the 170 amazing members of that organization, <laughs> of which you said nearly 52 are, are a part of this uh, Synergy Circle for Conscious Business. And that's really been a driving force, you know, behind the success of everything that we've done. So give us some reflections from your end and from the, uh, from the view of the, uh, from the so-called ELs. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kurt, Steve, and Peter, for all you three have done to put together these programs on conscious business for a flourishing world. It's an inspiration just to listen to the three of you and very warm thanks to uh, the other people who have spoken on these programs, the, these amazing leaders, David Sloan Wilson, Ronaldo Brutico, Paul Pullman, Jude Curvin, Ken Wilbur, and Irvin Laszlo for sharing their pioneering visions for conscious business with all of us. And I also want to thank all the members of the Conscious Business Synergy Circle of the Evolutionary Leaders for all that each one of you is doing to raise the consciousness of businesses around the world. And thank you to all the inspiring contributors to the Conscious Business Magazine and to all those who will come in the future, as Peter was saying, and, uh, and share their wisdom with us. And I want to give a special shout-out to all of you who are listening who are leaders in business, who work in a business, or even those who patronize a business, which is all of us in today's world, because you are the ones that can make change happen with every decision that you make and every product or service that you purchase. At this moment in time, it is up to every one of us to encourage and support conscious business, business with heart, Business with soul, business with integrity, business with purpose, business in service to all humanity and to our precious living planet. Together, we can transform business and make a real difference in co-creating a positive future for generations to come. Thank you. Well, Deborah, thank you. And thanks to all three of you for being a part of both, uh, both these Voice America specials on conscious business and the forthcoming production of the new Conscious Business magazine, which will begin with the first issue as we close out 2019, entitled Conscious Business for a Flourishing World. Now, all the magazines can be found at www.issuu.com slash lightonlight or at www.lightonlight.us. So again, that's www.issuu.com slash light on light. Or you can also just go to Google and Google Light on Light magazine, the Convergence magazine, and Conscious Business magazine. So thank you all again, and thanks to our listeners for delving into and enjoying with us these important discussions of conscious business in the world. So in signing off, I'll also invite all of you, as Deborah said, to take a look at all the activities that are going on worldwide from the partnership of which all of us are also a part, Unity Earth, which can be found at www.unity.earth. Check out there all the activities that are projected for the Road to 2020 and the caravans of Unity across America, Europe, and other parts of the world. I search my way through wreckage, try to find a piece to Say 
Was it a hurricane? Was it rain? Was it a warm tsunami? We think we're thick with courage. That's an insult to the brave. While all our hearts are mortgaged and our minds are media slaves. The world is warming up as we are Mother Nature's. Just inside, she is taking to the streets to release her secret rage. Just inside, or will we collapse? Just inside.